Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. So here's the deal. Today we are kicking off a new series, and it's going to be a six-week series on the Church of Ephesus. And so you may not know a whole lot about the Church of Ephesus, and you may not even know what I'm saying when I say that, but there was a church that began right after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So as many of you know, we celebrate on Easter the fact that Jesus came back to life. And when he did, he spent about 40 days with his disciples. He spent time talking to them before he ascended to heaven. And these guys then went, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, and began to tell everybody the good news about Jesus, that he truly was the Son of God, that there is a forgiveness of sins that's available to all of us. And so they began to not only tell Jewish people, because Jesus was a Jew, they didn't just tell people who knew the Old Testament, but they began to spread out and tell people who had no knowledge, really, of the Jewish faith of Jehovah. They began to reach out to what was considered the Gentiles. This included the Greeks. And so Paul was a guy that God used instrumentally to share the good news about who Jesus was. And so Paul had what were the first missionary journeys. He had a mission to tell people about Jesus. And so he traveled to these different cities. And one of those cities that he traveled to was a place called Ephesus. And so you may not know a lot about Ephesus because we didn't live 2,000 years ago. And so Ephesus, we're going to talk a little bit about that country, about where it's located, about what the people were like, about the values that they had. And I think what we'll discover over these next several weeks is that Ephesus, in many ways, is similar to our world today, very similar to the context in which we live. Now, granted, technology's changed, there's been advancements, but I think at the core, the human condition that we find at the church of Ephesus is true for us today. And so here's how we're going to approach this. This is going to be a little bit different. Uh, We're going to actually look at the origin story of the church of Ephesus today. How did these people start to believe? How did they gather together? And then how did they organize themselves? How did they stay true to orthodox teaching? How did they know what they believed was true? Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And that story is found in the book of Acts in our Bible. And so it's the Acts of the Apostles. So essentially, there's a guy named Luke who said, I want to document everything that happened in Jesus' life. So he wrote his first part of the, his writings, which was what we would call the Gospel of Luke. It took everything up until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but then Acts picks up where that story left off, and it talks about what happened after Jesus ascended to heaven. How did this message and the good news of Jesus spread? And it was miraculous, because for the first time, God's Holy Spirit was indwelling people, giving them gifts, giving them power, giving them strength. And so the Acts uh, of the Apostles, that book is so exciting that we see story after story, and almost a, a a documentation of how the good news spread. So today we're going to actually look at Acts chapter 18 and 19, which is where we find the beginning origin story of Ephesus. Now, what's going to be fun in the weeks to come is that Paul, who was an instrumental leader in getting this church started, eventually left. He wanted to go other places to tell people about Jesus, and he actually wrote a letter back to the church at Ephesus, and it's what we would call Ephesians. And so he had more instructions for them, more things he wanted to say. And how crazy is this? 
he then wrote a letter to the guy who had become the pastor at Ephesus, whose name was Timothy. And so we're going to see how he continued to speak and invest into this community of people. And I think that there's something for you and I to take away from it. So we're going to be heavy in the Bible today. It's going to be a lot of scripture. And here's something fun. I started preaching when I was 16. So that's been 22 years now. I've never taught on these two chapters of the Bible. I don't even think I've ever referenced them from a platform. So for me, this is a little exciting. We're going into new territory. Let's go, 38, no looking back. This is gonna be fun. What did they say at the end of uh, Back to the Future? Uh, He got in the car, Marty McFly did with Doc, and he said, where we're going, we don't need roads. So that's where we're going. We we don't even need roads where we're headed today. So this is gonna be fun. So if you wanna follow along, uh, we're gonna be in Acts chapter 18 and 19 today. And we'll put all the scriptures up here and they'll also be available for those watching online. And so I'll be reading from the New Living Translation as we get started. Are you guys ready? Give me a little feedback, give me a little excitement. If you wanna take notes, you'll really make me happy uh, because it means that you're paying attention. All right, here we go. Verse number one, chapter 18, it says that then Paul, he was this great character. Remember, he got knocked down, God spoke to him. He was a persecutor of Christians, but then he became radically saved, which I hope some of you have had happen. And he said, I've got to tell people about who Jesus is. And so he had already been in Athens, Athens, Greece. We kind of know what that looks like in our heads. Some of you are thinking about like Disney, Hercules. You're like, I know Athens, yes. And mythology and Zeus and all the things. That's where he was. One of my favorite chapters of the Bible, Acts 17 is him rolling into Greece and having these awesome conversations with this pluralistic society. They had all these gods and him saying, I think you missed one God. His name's Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about him. And so the whole story of Mars Hill and the Areopagus, that's all in the previous chapter. So he's now left Athens and he went to this new city called Corinth. There in Corinth, he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. Now, some of you are like, wait a second. Did Dr. Seuss write the Bible? (laughs) Aquila and Priscilla, sipping on sarsaparilla, in Manila, loving vanilla. No, like, it's not. Like, it sounds like something Dr. Seuss would write, like the cat in the hat, but like Aquila and Priscilla, that was their names. Like, Aquila's the man, Priscilla's his wife. And so they are this couple who arrived from Italy. And here's why they had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. So they had this new Roman emperor. He's like, I don't want any Jews in this town. So they are essentially refugees living now in Corinth. And Paul left Athens. He went there and he became acquainted with a Aquila. And not only did he become acquainted with them, verse number three says that Paul lived and worked with them for they were tent makers just as he was. So this is pretty interesting stuff, right? So Aquila and Priscilla are business owners. These people are tent makers and we discovered something about Paul we didn't know. He's not just a preacher. He's just not a traveling evangelist. No, he too was a tent maker. And so he began to have a relationship with these business owners and not only did he work with them, but he lived with them. Now I think this is kind of a big deal because I don't know if you've ever had like a roommate before, but you really get to know them. You get to know them on a level that you didn't want to know them sometimes. It's like a whole nother thing. Like when you first got married and you're like, whoa, this is different. Like we living together. Like he's living with this other couple. He's the roommate there. And I think what's so cool about this is that Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla, they all became lifelong friends. And I don't think that that would have been possible if Paul 
talked one way and lived a different way. If there was any discrepancy between what he was proclaiming and how he was living in private, I think Aquila and Priscilla would have been like, this guy's a hypocrite. And I know a lot of people today who don't want to go to church because it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. But I always felt like it's better to go to heaven with some hypocrites than to hell with other hypocrites, right? Like so, so we had him, and, and here he is. And, and I think that this is just a quick point I want to make, is that your work is a reflection of who you are. See, if Paul was like a pathetic tent maker, and he was cutting corners and not doing a good job, that would have had a reflection on his faith and what he proclaimed about Jesus. But the fact that he did not have anything negative to be said about him in his work is a reflection that he was doing his work as unto the Lord. And so it doesn't matter what your job is. You are to do all things to the glory of God. And I think that your work and how you work should be a reflection of who you are. And I, I would love for every boss, every employer in the world to know that the best, hardest working, most honest, trustworthy employees are people who embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That is a witness. That is a testimony in and of itself. So we have Aquila, his wife Priscilla. We got Paul. They're tent makers. They're living in Corinth. They're these refugees. They're making money. They're, their business is good. And they stayed there for about a year and a half. And they decided that they were going to move. These lifelong friends, they said, let's move. We're going to leave Corinth and let's go to Ephesus, our city, right? And so this was kind of a big deal. Not staying in Corinth represented saying goodbye to maybe comfort. There's no more repeat customers. We're going to a new place. We're going to have to completely recreate our clientele, where we're going to make business, how we're going to establish ourselves. And so when we fast forward in chapter 18 to the end of verse 18, it says this, that then he, Paul, set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. So Paul's like, man, I'm moving on. They're like, man, we want to we wanna be a part of what you're doing. And so they stopped first at the port of Ephesus, which was a really important port, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and this is where Paul left the others behind, which that's weird. Hey, why don't you guys move with me? And he leaves them. <laughs> And he keeps going. But, but while he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. And this was kind of what he did. He would go to the synagogue. It was kind of a built-in place for him to have a, a gathering place with Jews who already knew the scriptures. And so he would take the Old Testament words and say, hey, let me tell you what this means in light of who Jesus is. They had regularly scheduled meetings, so it was easy for him to do that. His attitude was, let's go to the Jew first and then the Greek second. And so that's what we see him doing here. And in verse 20, they asked, the people there were like, why don't you stay longer? We want to hear more. And Paul's like, yeah, no, I'm going to leave. <laughs> verse 20, he says, uh, I will come back later, God willing. And then he, then he got on a boat and he was gone. Weird dude, weird dude. So now Paul's gone. He had Priscilla and Aquila, his lifelong friends. He talked them into moving with him, and then he left them there as he took off and went and did some other stuff. And so now we've got Priscilla and Aquila living in our city of Ephesus that we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. Let's talk about Ephesus. It was originally founded in 1000 BC. So this is a very old city founded by the Greeks. It eventually came under Roman control in about 133 BC because Rome pretty much took over the world after Alexander the Great. So uh, Ephesus, we don't know this, but it was the most famous and populous city in the whole area. 
Like it was the place to be if you were in that region. It would have ranked among the foremost urban centers in the Roman Empire. There would have been Rome, Corinth, Antioch, and Alexandria. Those four, and Ephesus, those were your big urban centers. In America, what do we think about as urban? Uh, We think about New York, we think about Los Angeles, we think about Chicago. Like Ephesus was like one of those types of cities in the eyes of the people during that time. And so they were a major hub of commerce because of this port that they had. They were located right along a major river, the Caister River. And so Ephesus was the third largest city as far as number of people living in the whole Roman Empire. It had about a quarter of a million people living there in ancient times. And so if you were to pick up like a quarter in the United States and it was a Missouri quarter and you turned it over, you'd see like the St. Louis Arch on it. If you had like a New York quarter, you'd probably see like the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building. Well, if you got a coin in Ephesus day and you turned it over, what you'd see on the back of it is the Temple of Artemis. And so you say, well, what in the world is that? Well, Artemis is a Latin word. In the Greek, it would have been the Temple of Diana. And this temple was constructed in 800 BC. So by the time Jesus and Paul and these guys are on the scene, this temple had stood for like 800 years, and it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was like the tourist attraction of the place. Like, what's Ephesus known for? You've got to go see that temple. It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide. It was 62 feet high with 127 marble columns, white marble columns that surrounded it. And inside the temple, they housed the statue of Artemis, of Diana, that they believed had been fallen from heaven. Some people think that maybe it was a meteor that came in, and they're like, oh, this is our God, we're going to worship it. And so it became this kind of God of fertility. And so with this massive temple, people were visiting from all over the region. Of course, there's people like when you go to Disneyland selling souvenirs, you got to get the t-shirt, you got to get the little Mickey ears. So they had these different things, shrines and idols that they would sell because this temple was a big deal. Sometimes they would buy them, they would bring them to the temple as an offering to this false god. Other times they would take it and be like, look, I went and saw the temple and I have an artifact to prove it. And so this temple of Artemis was a big deal in this city. And so all of a sudden you have these people who are religious coming to this very religious city. And in addition to the pagan temple, um, so Artemis, this, this temple of Artemis of Diana, it would have had uh, prostitute priestesses. That would have been part of the practice of how they worshiped um, was to um, participate in some immoral activity. And so the city kind of became known as this place of religious activity and even demonic activity. And so the popularity of magic in Ephesus and things being kind of spooky and weird, they actually began to talk about any book that included like magic formulas or spells, they just started to refer to them as Ephesian writings. Uh, if it's an Ephesian writing, it doesn't matter where you're from, it's an Ephesian writing. It's part of that weird city over there and all the stuff they have going on. So, so this is the city in which Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla all moved, and then, you know, Paul peaced out and left Aquila and Priscilla there. And so, uh, again, they stopped in this port of Ephesus where Paul left the others behind. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason. They asked him to stay longer. He declined. As he left, however, he said, I will come back, you know, later if God lets me. And then he was gone. And a few verses later, we read this, that meanwhile, while Paul's gone, a Jew named Apollos not Apollos Creed, 
different guy, different era. This isn't Rocky. This guy, Apollos, he was, check this out, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well and had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria, now Egypt. So Alexandria, another huge urban center. Remember, Alexander the Great conquered the world. This is a city named after him. It's kind of a big deal. He grew up in this big urban center and made this move to Ephesus. And so he had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. I mean, I want that to be said of me, that when I talk about Jesus, I did it with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. But note, however, He knew only about John's baptism. This would be John the Baptist. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. So what he was saying was accurate, but it wasn't the whole story. And so Aquila and Priscilla, out of a love and concern and being a part of this, not having any type of arrogance, not feeling like they were privileged, didn't like stand up and say, you're not telling the whole story. They pulled him aside. They probably invited him into their home, which, man, these people are hospitable. They got Paul living with them for a while. Now they're bringing Apollos in. They're probably sharing some meals. And I just love that in this dialogue, man, there's no pride. There's no arrogance. There's no superiority. There's no intimidation from either party Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, they're, they're willing to give. Apollos is willing to receive. And they met in private. There's no combativeness. They just had good attitudes. And, 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 and their example for me just brings me back to, to this, that we are better together. We are. We are better together by ourselves. Paul, Apollo was saying things true, but he didn't know the whole story. Aquila and Priscilla, not gifted as eloquent speakers, wouldn't be able to communicate as well. But together, they're better. They helped Apollos to be more effective in what he was doing. Aquila and Priscilla got to participate in a behind-the-scenes manner of supporting others in their gifting and calling. Like, it's so cool that they were able to come together, and I believe that you and I are better together. We all have blind spots. My dad said, you know what the problem with blind spots are? I said, what's that? He said, you can't see them. I said, I guess that's true. (laughs) That's why it's called a blind spot. If I could see it, it wouldn't be blind. And so he said, that's why you need other people in your life. Because other people can see what you can't see. And in church history, for hundreds of years, Christians wrongly believed that slavery was acceptable. It wasn't until 1758 that Christians, specifically Quakers in Philadelphia, formally condemned slavery. It took decades of persistence and even violent conflict before slavery was finally abolished both in America and the British Empire. But I thought it was okay. We all have blind spots. We all need one another to help us to be all that we're supposed to be. We are better together. And so as we get back to our story, we have this crazy beginning of Ephesus. How was this going to begin? How are people going to hear about Jesus? They'd heard a little bit about the baptism of John. Apollos is there teaching Aquila and Priscilla, who spent a year and a half with Paul. Like, I wonder what conversations they had around the dinner table. They're helping share about who Jesus is. And so when we get to chapter 19, we read this, that while Apollos was in Corinth, so he moved on, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. These people believe. This is exciting. And so he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
No, they said, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, well, the baptism of John. All right, so these guys were kind of a lot like Apollos. What they had was accurate. They just didn't have the whole story. And what I love is that Paul here doesn't just take them at their word, like, oh, you're a believer, great, and move on. But he asks that next question. I don't know if you've talked to anybody and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that you live in America and you think that all Americans are Christians? Or what does it mean to say that you're a Christian? Is it just a label that you wear? What does it mean? So I love that he asks these clarifying questions to really find out where they're at. And so verse 4 says, Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself, he told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. I don't know if you want to get caught up on numbers, but that's kind of cool. There's 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel, there's 12 dudes here. And so there's a lot of theological debate over this passage, and we're going to try to stay out of the weeds today. But I find it so good that Paul asks these clarifying questions to help move these believers to the next step. And I also think that it's so good that they were able to experience something quite unusual, this speaking in other tongues and prophesying. Like if you had that happen to you, wouldn't that just increase your confidence that something spiritual has happened? That, oh, I'm not an outsider. I'm not late to the party. No, I'm really included in on this. (laughs) I had this crazy experience. You wouldn't believe what happened. I started saying words I didn't know what they meant. Uh, Speaking in another language. (laughs) What? What? So there's this evidence that God provided for these men to help them know that they are included in the church. They're not outsiders. We are all together. And so in verse 8, Paul went then to the synagogue. He's back in Ephesus, so he's back on his mission, going to the synagogue, Jews first, then Greeks. And he preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn. You ever met anybody like that? I think I gave birth to one. Or three. (laughs) Some became stubborn. Uh, Adult stubbornness is even worse than child stubbornness. They became stubborn, rejecting his message, and publicly speaking against the way that this movement of what God was doing. And so they were like, man, you can't be a part of that. You can't listen to him. He's not speaking the truth. They began to publicly say this. And I want you to notice what Paul did. So Paul left the synagogue and he took the believers with him. And then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two days, two weeks, two months. No, two years. Every day, let's go daily discussions for two years. 365 days a year, that's a lot of daily meetings. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both the Jews and the Greeks, they heard the word of the Lord. It it appears here as though Paul was almost following Jesus' instructions in Matthew 10, 14, that says, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, just shake its dust from your feet (laughs) as you leave. 
Instead of fighting to be in the synagogue every day and saying, this is the way it has to be. I've got to be here. He just said, hey, we're just going to go down to the lecture hall. And one manuscript says that they actually met from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., which would have been during the hottest part of the day. It would have been when that lecture hall was available. And so not only is he probably waking up early, still making tents, still working for Aquila and Priscilla, but then 11 o'clock, I got to go. And he spent the next five hours speaking to believers, pouring into them every single day in the heat of the day, sweating it up, but all so that they might know Jesus. And I think that this decision by Paul to relocate was huge because I think it would have been easy for him to have just given up. Oh, they're speaking badly about me. I don't have a place to fit here. I don't have a place to belong. Maybe it's time for me to move on to another city. I think the Lord has spoken, but he didn't do that. He persevered. He didn't give up. Instead, he kept the message but negotiated the methods. And so Paul's decision to pivot continued to allow this church, this people, to continue to put their faith in Jesus in the town of Ephesus. And I want to encourage you to follow Paul's example. See, I think some of you need to look past maybe the present situation you're in to your desired future, to not give up where you're at, but to press on. It may look different than you thought it was originally. You may need to pivot. You may need to take a different step. But I believe that we need to not give up but we need to learn how to press on. And that's what Paul did. He pressed on for two years. And as a result of this invincible attitude, the whole city at large was being changed because of this daily investment of time during the hottest part of the day into people's lives. And so verse 11, it says this, that God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. That's pretty cool. He didn't give him the power to perform usual miracles. No, these are weird. Here's some weird stuff going on. And so check this out. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Even the Bible says this is some unusual stuff. This is kind of weird. But we see kind of this idea even with the woman who had the issue of blood, if you remember, she went and reached and touched the hem of Jesus' clothes and brought healing. Was there power in the clothing? No, no, the, the power was from God. It was God who gave this power. And so these items, for whatever reason, became a, a physical expression that people who are putting their faith and their trust in Jesus were able to have a physical moment of touch that allowed this healing to come. And so verse 13, we're seeing that this church is beginning to grow. It's beginning to happen and there's miracles happening and there's debate and persecution, but the daily persistence and this group of people are saying, I want to continue to believe. And there's just this group that's here. So awesome. But check out verse 13 because these weird things are happening. A group of Jews is traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. So Jews, they're not believing in Jesus. They're, they're just believing in Jehovah. They're believing in what we would consider the Old Testament. And check this out. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's give that a try. Um, seven sons of Sceva, who is like this leading priest, they were doing this. So you, know, so you got these seven dudes. Uh, this is kind of fun. But one time... This, the Bible's so fun. Like Luke's like, we've got to include this story. Like we're not omitting this part. Like, no, we're keeping it. But one time when they tried it, these seven brothers, the evil spirit replied, hey, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? 
then get this, the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. I don't know if you can picture this. I don't know if you should picture this. But can you imagine, you got the guy with the evil spirit, and there's seven dudes in there. Like, I'm picturing seven, like, just put seven dudes around me. You know if you're one of those seven dudes, you're not intimidated by this guy. Even if he's talking about some weird spirit. I got like six of my bros with me. We gonna be fine. Like we are like linemen on a football team. You can't take us. Like we are like a basketball team plus two subs. Like, come on. This guy like locks the door and just goes to town. It's like, you know, a Jackie Chan Kung Fu movie. He took them all on, and not only did he beat them all up, somehow he got their clothes taken off of them. How funny is this? And now they're bleeding, they're bruised, and they're naked, and they're all running from the house. Now, can you imagine just walking by this house, and you hear a commotion over there? You see dust kind of billowing out of different things. You know, what is going on? The door busts open, and seven naked dudes run out. included in the Bible for a reason. <laughs> a couple thoughts, a couple thoughts. Number one, you can't use Jesus for personal gain. I, I think that these, these men wanted to use Jesus to have their thing get done. Man, we want to be known as exorcists. We're, you know, delivering people from evil spirits. So, hey, get out in the name of Jesus. I'm going to use him in a magic formula. I don't know who he is. Paul preaches about him. I just want to use him to get done what I want to get done so I can get paid and move on to the next city. Guess what? You can't use Jesus for personal gain. He don't participate. He don't play. And number two, well, even before we move on, I think we do this when we pray a lot of times. Oh, I'm having a bad day. Jesus, would you help my day be better? And she's like, why would I want to make your day be better? Well, don't you love me? Well, yeah, but I really just want you to make my life easy, Jesus. Can you just make my life a little easier? In Jesus' name, may this be a good day. I cast it out. Any evil spirit in my day, that evil spirit in my boss, God, please, Jesus, help. We do this. We're just like them. I'm just glad we're not getting beat up and running out of houses naked. Number two, Christianity isn't a comfort zone. It's actually a war zone. And we don't tend to think about this. I'm going to expand on this in a few weeks when we begin to look at the letter that, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. But we got to realize that there is a battle going on in the spirit world that we don't see. And sometimes it makes us uncomfortable to be even talking about it. Like, ooh, you're going to get all weird and creepy. No, no, I'm just, we're just reading the Bible here. There are such things as evil spirits. The devil is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And so Christianity, it's not about being in a comfort zone. It's not about being cushy and life being convenient. No, no, this is a, a war zone. People's lives are at stake. Souls are on the line. And we're going to talk more about that in weeks to come. So it's interesting here, though, that the evil spirit said that he knows Jesus. That doesn't surprise us, right? Like, you would think the whole spirit world knows, yeah, we know about Jesus. But he also knew about Paul. That's pretty interesting. I can remember being at a youth conference as a teenager, uh, listening to a, a youth speaker named Jeannie Mayo, when she asked this question that I remember 20-some years later, she said, does hell know your name? Is hell nervous about you? 
I remember thinking, probably not. <laughs> Hell's probably concerned about a lot of other people doing a lot of other things. Probably not too concerned about me. And I thought, I want to be more like Paul. Paul was such a threat to the kingdom of darkness that even this evil spirit knew his name. How wild is that? I want to be powerful in the name of Jesus, not because of what it does for me, but because it's advancing God's kingdom. Verse 17 says that this, the story of what happened with these naked dudes running, bleeding, trying to find cover, it, it spread quickly throughout all of Ephesus. Can you imagine? You know that that story was awesome. <laughs> did you hear? And not only did it spread to the Jews, but the Greeks alike. We're changing languages. We need everybody to know what happened. It's crazy. And look at what happened as a result of this crazy encounter. A solemn fear descended on the city, the most populous city in the area, the third most populous city in the Roman Empire. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. These men were taking his name and abusing it. End of the story, everybody's honoring the name of Jesus. There's something different about him. Crazy. Verse 18 says, many who became believers, confessed their sinful practices. In case you forgot, confession is good for the soul. You may not go to Catholic confession anymore, but confession is still good for the soul. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. That breaks the power of that being over you. There's no secretism. Hey, this is it. And number, verse 19 says, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books these Ephesian writings, and they burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. In the original, it was like worth, I think, about 135 years worth of wages is what it, they estimated it. The amount of money, it was 50,000 drachma. One drachma was like a day's wages. And so they repented. They said, this isn't of God. And they took things that were valuable. They didn't take them and sell them on eBay and get money for them. They didn't pass it on. They said, no, this is, we're done with this. And so, with all that's happening, these supernatural things and these daily messages that Paul's delivering, verse 20 says, so the message about the Lord spread widely and it had a powerful effect. This is how the church of Ephesus got its roots. This is how the Jesus movement began. And, and through time, Paul eventually began to make plans to move to another city to share about Jesus. But, but before he did, we're going to end this chapter, something crazy happened in the city. And the Bible wants to make sure this is recorded. Verse 23, it says, About this time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, who was a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis, or Diana. He kept many craftsmen busy. So this guy's like an employer. He's got other craftsmen working for him. And he called them together, business meeting y'all, along with others employed in similar trains, and he addressed them as follows. He said, gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, 
I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. In other words, I've got a real problem with this Jesus movement affecting my pocketbook. I didn't mind them believing whatever they wanted to believe, but now what they're believing is negatively affecting me, and now they need to stop. Verse 28, at this, the whole business meeting, their anger boiled, and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And soon, the whole city was filled with confusion, and everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along, we got new people here, Gaius and Aristocrus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. They just like, you two are coming with us. And so here we got Demetrius. He's concerned. Tourism's going to go down. People aren't going to come see this seven wonder of the world. We got to do something. So fueled by economic reasons, fueled by fear of loss, he essentially stirs up a mob and has everyone rushing to an amphitheater. Now, we don't know what amphitheater it was, but we do know that Ephesus had one carved out in the side of a mountain that sat 24,000 people. And so now these two guys that were Paul's companions were dragged into this. And I was thinking about what this might have been like for them. You didn't know about the business meeting. All of a sudden, people are mad. There's confusion everywhere. And you're being grabbed and drugged to a a coliseum, an amphitheater. If that was me, I'd be thinking, "Uh uh-oh, this is the end of my life. It's the end of the world as we know it. What is going on? They're bringing out the lions. Am I going to die? What is this even about? Nobody knows. Everybody's confused. But what I think is cool, we don't see exactly how these guys responded. We don't see what they said. They didn't abandon the faith. I think that these guys recognized, even in this chaos, and nobody knows what's going on, I need to put forth my best effort right now. And I need to trust Jesus no matter what. Verse 30 says that Paul wanted to go in too. But the believers wouldn't let him. Hey, they got my friends. I need to be in there. But some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, these are guys that have some money and some clout, also sent a message to him begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. So apparently there is a risk involved for going into this place because it's out of control. And I think Paul did something wise here. He didn't go in. He didn't follow what his emotion said. He listened to the wisdom of other people. Because again, sometimes we are better together. And verse 32 says that inside, the people were all shouting. Some one thing and some another. Everyone is in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. Isn't that like a true mob mentality? Ah, What are we excited about? I don't know. Ah, Hey, you want to destroy that car? Why? I don't know. Yeah. It's like, What? And so the Jews in the crowd, like they're concerned, the Jews, right? So that's not the Jesus followers. So they pushed Alexander, who must have been a great guy. That's all I got to say about him. Must have been. Great name. They pushed him forward and told him to explain the situation. And so he motioned for silence and he tried to speak. But the crowd, when they realized that he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
two hours. Two hours. That's like a full-length movie before Marvel came out with their movie. That's a full-length movie. Finally, one of the highest-ranking city officials recognized that if this gets much more out of hand, that the Romans were going to have to probably send troops in here to restore order. And so he steps up. And at last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said. Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against him, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there is no cause for all of this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. And then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. End of the chapter. That's it. The church at Ephesus. What a crazy origin story of how God did weird stuff that brought about these believers and helped them be convinced so much so that they were willing to give their lives that Jesus was the way. A few friends became connected through work and moved to a new city. Their creed and their deed lined up. They shared what they'd learned about Jesus with others. God did miracles in unique ways with aprons and handkerchiefs. People turned to God and removed anything contrary from their lives. They're burning books. And as this church movement began, it really shook the city at its core. And the values of this pagan society began to realize that there's something different about God and such a fear came upon them that they honored the name of Jesus. As we wrap up today, I know it's a lot of Bible. I wanted to establish kind of the origin story. We're going to refer back to this in the weeks to come. But I want you to know who these people were and the things that happened that shaped them. But as we stop today... I'm struck by Paul's life. Aquila and Priscilla respected him. The believers that he first met, they actually listened to him. And whenever he met opposition, he didn't quit. He persevered. He moved forward maybe to a different place at a different time. But Paul existed for one purpose, and that was to be an ambassador of Christ, to be an ambassador of Jesus. Jesus had lived died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven. And Paul recognized that I am to carry on the ministry of Jesus, that of reconciliation with the world. I represent him. I'm here on assignment representing him as an ambassador. And Paul was willing to go anywhere and to talk to anyone about Jesus. But here's the question I ponder and what I want you to think about as we dismiss today. Is Paul an extreme example? Or are the rest of us lacking the conviction and dedication needed to see the world come to know Jesus? Do we just say, ah, oh, he's a Bible character. Of course he's special. That's not what we're all called to be. That's just for specific people. Or are you and I lacking the conviction and dedication needed to see the world come to know Jesus? 
See, I'm persuaded to believe that Paul was nothing special. He was just willing and committed and dedicated to be used by God. And that is what you and I are called to. My prayer for us is to become a people of conviction and dedication because there's so many people today who need to know Jesus. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that the origin story of this church at Ephesus is recorded for us. And although it's 2,000 years ago, Lord, I think there's still things for us to learn. And God, I love that you are a God who does unique things in unique ways, and you even call them unusual. And God, you allow circumstances and situations to come about, even if they originate with people who are enemies or against the message, to be used in such a way as to promote and lift up your name. And so, God, I'm just asking today, for me and for those in this room who are in the same place as me, Lord, may we be fully committed to you. As we were challenged last week in the Mother's Day message, may we be fully devoted to you, God, so that you can do what you want to do, which is reach people who are far from you. Provide them with hope, love, and a future. God, help each of us who have that heart to begin to move forward in such a way that we never have before to be willing, as Paul was, to speak to whoever, wherever, about the good news of Jesus. Help us, I pray, Lord, to be a church that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.